0: hey real talkers despite being the richest province in canada alberta is spending the least per student on education alberta's k-12 classrooms are bursting at the seams in this episode we find out why it matters and what we need to do about it
1: this is a relay project real talk starts right now here's ryan jesperson
0: want to welcome you to this episode of real talk today we're we're, we're talking straight to you parents we're we're talking right to you school administrators members of the general public taxpayers current students and students to be if mom or dad are streaming the show in front of you and real talk is your ambient noise today we thank your family for that we're talking about alberta's classrooms and how they're bursting at the seams in the latest issue of alberta views magazine in just a second we're going to be talking to a teacher who's going on the record today we're going to be talking to an author a journalist who also happens to be the parent of a a kindergarten student we're going to find out what classroom looks have been through the 80s the 90s and and present day and whether or not class size actually matters we're going to be looking to our live chat today i have no doubt there's going to be more people in there than there were a couple of weeks ago because some of you for the first time in a long time have sent your kids off to school you've got your mornings back but of course We know that you are as passionate about this issue as anybody, because when you're talking about quality of education, let's be honest, you're talking about your kids' future. We're going to get into it in 30 seconds, but first, we wanted to let you know that this episode of Real Talk is presented by Rello. Now that the kids are... Back in school, you're starting to think about that real estate course. You're starting to think about that career you've always wanted, a career you can actually love. Why not leave cubicle life behind for good with Rello? Rello's online real estate courses are fully accredited to help you get your real estate license in Alberta. And they've just added a commercial real estate course to their offerings with even more courses coming soon. You can get licensed the easy way with Rello's convenient, self-paced courses. Visit rello.ca, that's R-E-L-O dot C-A to get started. We're going to jump right in. This episode of Real Talk can't take too long because Carly Krenn's got to get back in the classroom just after lunch break, right? Let me introduce you to the audience. You're, you're a public school teacher with a large urban school board, and we'll leave it at that. Uh, you've just begun your 11th year of teaching at the elementary school level. You've lived in Alberta your entire life. And, and as you say, uh, you want to be introduced as a proud product of the public education system. Why does that matter so much to you? Yeah. Uh, hit the button there there we go yeah awesome
1: there we go so for me you know public education is the only great equalizer in our society and I am better for being through a system that is welcoming and uh, to all people and it, it's an amazing system when we take care of it
0: well we want to thank you for being here with us this thank morning you. you're someone that sees this every single school day you're on the front line so to speak and so you'll bring that informed credible perspective which we appreciate thank you so does Lawrence Smile uh, writer who contributes to alberta views and jacobin among other publications lawrence you live uh, right here in our home city of edmonton you, you're a father of two and one of them is it just yesterday had their very first day of kindergarten is that right
2: it's my daughter's first week at kindergarten so it's a it's a huge milestone how are you doing as a dad of a brand new kindergarten kid Oh, I'm a bit bit nervous but also so so happy just to see her in that environment and how excited she is it's great to see wonderful so so let me let me ask you first of all before we go any further
0: uh, and for the benefit of our podcast audience I'll know you're, you're carly you're wearing a blazer uh, but people can kind of mostly see what your Wall t-shirt Street? says but those that are listening on the podcast mm-hmm. won't necessarily. Uh, I, well, Let me put it this way. I think they're going to be very interested to, to, to hear a little <laughs> bit about your wardrobe choice this morning. Tell us about this t-shirt you're That's wearing. It's
1: quite a lead up. Um, my shirt says, uh, outing kids is not in my job description. Um, and I wear that as a proud ally and advocate for students uh, in schools, um, all students, but particularly those who are um, part of the 2SLGBTQ plus community. And I believe in uh, supporting them and providing them a safe space for um, Period. Yeah. They'll
0: stop. Uh, I, I, and I, have noticed your earrings as well. I also
1: have my pride flag earrings. You yes. got your pride flag <laughs> earrings. <laughs> I'm decked out.
0: Uh, I, now I promise to. I'm not. I'm not going to get you fired today, <laughs> or at least I'm not going to try. But you, you've been paying attention to this story out of out of Red Deer, the mm-hmm. Red Deer Catholic School trustee comparing the the swastika of the pride flag yes. and talking about brainwashing is brainwashing. Is pride like at, at the classroom level and in your interactions with parents? And l- and let me acknowledge, this is not necessarily what you came here today to talk about, but no. your t-shirt's a billboard today. Fair. Um, is this something that, that is as much of an issue in real life as it is on the internet? Is this something that's contentious and divisive and provocative as you see um, it? Uh,
1: in the schools, I would say no. In my experience, um, we, when we talk about pride and um, anything to do with the 2SLGBTQ plus community, it's um, welcoming and inclusive for all people and helping students to understand that everyone has a place and it deserves a safe space. And, and frankly, the comments made um, are, they were shocking. Um, any, I believe that any elected official is there to represent all members of the community, and I, I question how that post represents all members of that community, particularly the 2SLGBTQ plus community, and um, they're harmful and very dangerous comments
0: yeah if, pe- if people want to know what i think about it or for that matter what charles adler thought about it yesterday we talked about it they can check out our episode your t-shirt obviously i think uh is a reference to what's happening um, in in particular in canadian jurisdictions mm-hmm. in ontario and saskatchewan mm-hmm. uh, and elsewhere uh where where legislators education ministers premiers have said that if kids uh well how would you phrase it it's basically if if kids want to change um, their pronouns yeah. on official school record, mm-hmm. and pardon me if it's a crude or crass description of it, nope, uh, right. but this is my layperson's understanding of it. If yeah. if, if a student, a minor, uh, wants to change their pronouns in the school's official records, they've got to do it under consultation with or with the approval of their parents. Is, is that a fair assessment?
1: Um, as I understand it, I think that it is always important to have parents involved in some capacity, but we need to also recognize that there are many, many situations where Children are not safe to have those conversations in their own homes. Um, a huge portion of students, who, uh, of children who are living on the streets are members of the 2SLGBTQ plus community. And I think we need to be very aware of the situations that we as educators and as um, confidants to those students that we're putting them in Um, and so for me I look at it very much as I'm going to provide that safe space within my classroom and our school community and and that's really where my eye focus is what I can do within the six hours a day, five days a week that I have those kids.
0: Okay, I want to let our audience know that uh, we we have an email from a a viewer uh, by the name of JK, and I'm going to get to it, uh, the subject line, My Thoughts on Schools Disclosing Information to Parents. It's a lengthy one, and I don't want to burn all of our time here on that. I want to talk about classroom sizes, but we are talking education Mm -hmm. throughout this episode. And so, JK, if you are tuned in this morning, uh, if you're listening to this podcast later, we are going to get to your email in just a bit. Lawrence, bursting at the seams. You got the cover uh, in the latest uh, issue of Alberta Views magazine. People can also read it online at albertaviews.ca. This is the September issue. How did this wind up on your radar? Is this something you were thinking about as a parent of a soon-to-be student?
2: Yeah, well, you know, I should mention that I just moved back to Alberta after having lived in Quebec for 13 years. Wow. So we moved back at the end of 2020 and, you know, I've been finding my feet and reestablishing some of Uh, my old connections and making new connections and so um, i've started writing for alberta views in in my free time and researching some stories and so this one landed on my lap because i was asked by the editor you know do you want to take it on and then i said i really do because i'm going to be invested as a parent in this public education school system for minimum the next you know probably 12 years so i care about it um, I'm also a product, product of the public education school system. I graduated from Victoria High School here in Edmonton. And uh, prior to, to living in Canada, I was also the, the product of public schooling in England, in rural England. So, you know, it's colored my whole life being in this system. I, I likewise believe it's, it's, it can be the great equalizer, and I believe
0: in it. Now, you're still a relatively young chap, if I may say, but but you. things have changed um, for all of us, uh, you know, because obviously th- things are changing all around us, uh, you know, consistently and perpetually. Uh, so for me to ask you to compare schooling in England versus schooling here, you're probably going to fire back at me that it's been several years since you graduated and maybe it's apples and oranges, But all things considered, maybe you could adjust for inflation or the passage of time. How would you compare what you saw or experienced in England versus what you see or experience in in Canada, Quebec and Alberta?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, obviously, it has been a long time since I was going to public school in England. Uh, I certainly always benefited from small classes. I will say that. I think I benefited from a well-supported education system. Uh, when I moved to Canada there was a lot of adjustment because of the curriculum being different uh, I was behind in certain areas I feel like I was probably ahead in others it, it all evened out um, I'm I'm old enough to remember that um, there was a big shift in education during the 1990s that there was an era here in Alberta of, of austerity mm-hmm. um, I had already graduated by that point so I think that Our system has had a couple of phases where it's suffered and it's been under a lot of stress. And we're we're going through another one of those phases Mm -hmm. right now.
0: Uh, you're, you're nodding your head Carly yes. do you remember so you you started teaching what 11 years ago yeah. is that right you're, you do you remember your you, you, I'm sure you do remember your very oh, first day in the classroom <laughs> um uh, amongst your other observations what do you what do you remember about your class size 11 years ago
1: well I have to say when you're talking about the 90s I didn't want to pipe in and say I was a student uh, <laughs> in elementary in the 90s but anyways in elementary uh, yeah sorry okay um as, you know my first year uh overwhelming to say the least i think for most teachers Uh, the needs of the students really haven't changed Um, they're coming in with complex needs the difference is is the the amount of students we're seeing the amount of complex needs and the lack of wraparound services that we can access for those students we don't have timely supports um, for these kids with needs and um, that's having a great impact on their success and the and the environment in the classroom. Uh, not to mention the lack of space from these ballooning class sizes. Um, you know, my first class was I think 24 students. Uh, my my largest was 30, and um, in, in division two, so grades four to six, and okay. so big.
0: And and how about this year?
1: Uh, this year, we're I've lost a few students with registration. My I'm at 26. Um, some pretty complex needs um i'd suspect based on my my school that we will have i'll probably closer be closer to 30
0: closer to 30 yeah. what do you think would be optimal like if you were calling the shots and if budget wasn't an issue and if infrastructure in other words if if, if, if square footage wasn't an, if you ran the world <laughs> and square footage and nothing else was an issue how many kids would be in your class i, I
1: think really realistically 20 would be great uh for division two and i say that because right now we're dealing with it new curriculum which are interesting and uh, the needs of students whether they be hangovers from covid um, major mental health issues social emotional regulation issues those things need to be addressed by the school because there's they're not being supported elsewhere in society and so the needs of those things tend to at times overwhelm the academic work that needs to get done and so i think being able to address not only the academic supports, but those other things for a smaller group of students would be much better than if I'm trying to do it with a 10 additional students. So hmm. 20 would be great. Um, realistically, 24 is probably... Nice.
0: Okay. Uh, Lawrence, let me be the the sort of hypothetical critic of your piece. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm going to look at this and I'm going to say, bursting at the seams. You know, if if I'm the hypothetical education minister, I'm going to say something like, I can appreciate Mr. Miles' concern. We're aware of strains on the education system. We're also aware that Alberta is facing a population boom and we're building schools as fast as we possibly can. Then this hypothetical politician would rattle off all the new schools that they're funding. And then they would say we can appreciate that people are concerned about class sizes But we're confident that the teachers of today and tomorrow are able to take into special consideration all these kids needs How would you respond?
2: I'd respond to that in two major ways first of all this same government has stopped tracking the data Okay, yes. so that's big from 2004 to 2019. We collected province-wide data on how big class sizes were and um, and we don't do that anymore since 2019 um the other thing i would say is that there are definitely classes that are bigger than 30 bigger than 35 Mm -hmm. bigger than 40. bigger than 40. absolutely like i started this this piece starts with uh, a teacher in uh, northeast edmonton who was the day i talked to him the following morning he was going to have a class of 43 and um i met that teacher because i sat in on a university of alberta class for student teachers so these are teachers who are entering the field for the first time when we when i asked and that's about 40 student teachers i was talking to that day and when we asked for a show of hands like how many of you have classes of over 40 there was three hands that went up for sure when we said over 35 we had about a half a dozen so those classes that are at the extreme end of, of the size uh, are definitely out there and as, as Carly mentioned you know sometimes there's physically not space for them Right. In week one, it's like there can be a situation where there's not a chair. There could be a situation where you sit on a countertop. There can be a situation where the hallway has suddenly turned into an impromptu classroom because there's not room. So we we do actually have a physical space crunch. And then we have teachers that are some of them, you you know, this young teacher just entering the field flat out said, "I'm, I'm overwhelmed. This is crazy difficult. It's crazy difficult to manage this number of students who have all the kinds of diverse needs that they present with. And we know that the situation, you know, up to the last years that we have measurements, we know that it was getting worse up to 2019.
0: Listen to this, Tracy's watching us live right now on YouTube and she's in our live chat. She says, when I was last in the classroom, she says, I had class sizes uh, so high, there wasn't even enough room for that many desks in the room, so kids were sitting on bookshelves at the back of the room. You're, you don't sound surprised at all.
1: Not at all. It, particularly in our high schools, um, you know, where we're seeing the class sizes of 40 plus. Um, I remember at one point when I was in high school, there there was that situation until more desks could be brought in. And frankly, then trying to maneuver around those desks, um, let alone if there was somebody in the classroom who had mobility issues. Hmm. I mean, that creates a huge problem, not just for those folks, but also in emergency situations when there's so many desks that you can't get out of the room in an efficient way like the the problems just kind of compound when you don't address those class sizes
0: i I gotta ask you something i gotta circle back on on lawrence pointing out let me read your lead in, in this alberta views feature a 33 year old student teacher martin not his real name has just wrapped up his last class of the day. You go on to talk about how he's been teaching junior high students in northeast Edmonton. Spring break within sight. He admits to being burned out. It's the seventh week of his field placement. Carly Wren is your real name, correct? We're not blurring out your face. <laughs> we, we've not named which school you're at specifically, but people yeah. know that you're an elementary school yeah. teacher in a large urban district mm-hmm. somewhere in Alberta. You, you, you've obviously got to give a rip about this. I mean, are, are you are you taking a bit of a risk by talking to us today?
1: Um, I suppose it depends on whose perspective you're looking at. For me, I I believe so strongly in our public education system. I believe in the opportunities that it can provide all students, not just wealthy students. So I think that for me, I am here because I know that this is not going to go away unless we start to speak up and we start to demand better of the people making decisions. Um, and holding the purse strings. and our, and the students in my class and th- that I've taught for the past ten years, deserve better, and they deserve adults in the society who will advocate for them because they don't have a voice in the way that we do. So uh, I'm pretty stubborn when it comes to speaking about this because, I know that there's a need and that and my students deserve that.
0: So people are going to say, Lawrence, well, what do you want us to do? Uh, new schools are what, $250 million, $300 million to build. I'm, sure. I, I'm guessing uh, approximately, let's say 200 uh, for the sake of argument. Um, you know, uh, teacher salaries, you can't just you can't just add 70 salaries in a new community for a new school all the time, wherever you like. You can't double the capacity. So what do you want us to do?
2: Well, definitely, there's a major funding component here, right? And I, and I don't think that we can pretend that, it's it, that it's not going to take more money to solve the problem. It would take more money to solve the problem. Um, with regards to funding, I do think Albertans should know that we have slipped to bottom in Canada mm-hmm. for per-student funding. If you can put up this slide, this is Statistics Canada data. Um, from 2019, 2020, that folks um, on YouTube would be looking at. And they would be seeing a red line at the bottom for Alberta, indicating that our per-student funding is about $10,500. Um, they would see Quebec at, at the top there, close to 15000 and then other provinces in between. I do want to say also that, you know, it's not a rosy picture in, in Quebec. They just announced that they are about 8,000 teachers short, for this current school year. And I did a bit of Googling this morning just to see the origin of this story, and it's not new. Two years ago, the government warned, we're gonna be 8,000 teachers short. In their case, it's because teachers are leaving their profession, Mm. right? But there has been an attempt to reinvest, get people back. They were trying to bring teachers out of retirement in Quebec to meet this shortfall. The problem in Alberta is we're not trying, right? We're not tracking the data. So we used to have class size targets. They were th- The maximum that we recommended was 17 students at K to three. It was 23 students for four to six, right? So especially at the, those young grade levels, Our aspiration used to be in Alberta that we would have smaller class sizes and we abandoned that aspiration in 2019 and we abandoned the special class size initiative that went along with it. So now we're a bit in the dark. It takes a journalist and anecdotal information a bit to to shine a spotlight on what's going on because the government is not tracking or reporting anymore. Why do you think like if you had to guess I think that by not talking about a problem, you hope that people won't notice it. Why do you think?
1: <laughs> oh, I've got lots of thoughts on that. Um, you know, before I get into that, one thing I noticed that the data that Lawrence brought is that it's 2019 and 2020. Interestingly, when we ranked lowest, um, something like $43.2 billion was given to private schools in Alberta in that same school year
0: can't be 43 billion but because that's i think like that's almost our entire provincial budget Excuse me,
1: million pardon me okay yeah. Got it. yeah yeah so 43.2 million given to okay. private schools in alberta that is being siphoned away and that leads to why okay, i think so that's this,
0: happening the, 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 the private and charter schools were lower on my the, the, that was that was coming but let's go <laughs> let's go there now and i was telling you that i'm a i'm a product of both yeah um, I attended private schools, K to nine, public school, ten to twelve, and then a, and then a mix in yeah. my post secondary experience. Are you inherently uh, against? I mean, that's kind of loaded language, <laughs> isn't it? I don't, maybe I should. How do you feel? Did you have a strong um, feeling yes. about private or charter schools?
1: I will always, always side on the side of public education and equitable public education, because there are no stipulations for who can come in, who is allowed, and there's no criteria that precludes students from getting into public education, whereas that is the case for charter and private schools. And, you know, to your previous question, why is this happening? It's really a systematic and intentional plan to undermine public education through siphoning of money. That's what it is. When we look at the the amount of money going into private and charter schools in this province, it is pulling money from our public education system. So we're seeing class sizes sub 40. We're seeing infrastructure issues where students can't physically move around the room or library spaces are being used as classrooms. And that is specifically because we have the same pool of money that we have for education in Alberta, but more is being pulled away to serve wealthy elite the one to two percent of students in this province who attend private and charter schools yeah where the majority of students go to public education and they're losing out
0: let me push back a little bit sure because because i've heard it all and and i know that there's going to be a lot of parents i I guarantee once Mm -hmm. one will email us to talk at Mm ryanjesperson.com, and they'll say we're not wealthy or elite we just prioritize this and i'm working two jobs so my kids can attend x private school because this is our priority and this is what our family has decided mm-hmm. so so we'll hear from that crew uh we'll also hear from other people that say the lion's share of my property taxes designated for education and lawrence you, you can fact check me on this if, if i'm wrong but i don't think i am uh the lion's share while alberta does give more of, of a tax share Uh, to private school parents and families than any other province. 70%. 70%, um, which I've spoken – former uh, uh, minister, former deputy premier Thomas Lekasik was very proud of that, and I know that a lot of parents have been satisfied with that. Private school parents have been satisfied, not like they all speak collectively, but many have said, that's fair, that's fair, but we want at least a portion of our taxes to go to the private school where our kids attend. If we were to look at this and say, okay, let's say Alberta goes to zero, which is not happening. We both know that this De- premier and yeah, this government, uh, if anything, is going to give more of a tax break to the private school families. Okay, and they've
1: been increasing the funding.
0: Right. Yep. And, and we can we can, we can can debate the merit of that. And I'm sure that we'll hear a whole bunch of different opinions on that. Mm-hmm. But let's say it went the other direction. Mm-hmm. Let's say that the province said, uh, you can go to private school all you want and we support a parent's right or a family's right to choose what's best for their kids, but we are going to ensure that 100% of your taxes designated for education are going to go support the public system, then are you cool with private schools?
1: Um, We'd be getting closer to me being cool with private schools. Um, I think for me, I look at it as a societal issue you know we have to look at what we want as a society and whether we want to have a two-tiered system because the reality is these schools do create a two-tiered system it is not open to all students and and for those families who have prioritized it and work two jobs etc that's fantastic and I admire that dedication but the reality is majority of working-class families cannot put be in that position. They are not able to and probably will never be able to. It's not even on their radar. So then we have to look at the, the system that serves the majority of students and work to enhance it and, and enrich it so that it is the same quality of education because the reality is charter schools were started to be um, almost like um they they tried new they tried new programs and then they were meant to when they originally started in the United States to provide feedback and information to the public system so those programs could be brought into the public system that has not happened
2: they're like innovation labs innovation labs yes creative programs. and I found this out when I was researching this you know it's like there is nothing wrong with creating alternative programs. No, nope, not at all. There's nothing wrong with the idea of a charter school setting up and saying, we're going to try something new that ha- that, that we're not ready to roll out across the mm-hmm. whole public system. Go experiment with that at a school. Experiment safely, of course. And if it works, let's let's embed the learnings from that across the whole system.
0: Because we are learning that Different kids learn differently, totally. right? Like totally. we, we, we want to have best practices at yeah. play, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's that's absolutely it. You know, the thing is is like especially here in Edmonton, I think we've been quite lucky in that we've had a school board that the public school board that has tried to offer a certain amount of variety to parents. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a product of, of an art school, right? Mm-hmm. I, I went to Victoria and I'm not sure I would have completed high school with without the enrichment and excitement, frankly, that, that Victoria High School brought into my life. You know, I'm very happy to have had that opportunity within the public system. You know, the problem with the amount of funding that's going into private schools is it it does siphon off from the public system, and it also gives you know let's let's just be honest here right like some of these schools cost twenty thousand yeah. dollars, okay so yeah, and
0: I've heard thirty for elementary there's school. One, there's one wow. that's thirty five
2: thousand per student. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So this is a lot of money, and you know there are of course going to be parents that are not from the wealthy elite that make this choice. I've seen this in Mm -hmm. Montreal. There are schools that that, were $5,000. Some families, working class families, will just about do that. We'll cobble together the Mm 5,000 to give the best to to their children. Okay, but the best, the best should be available to all children. That's the point. Uh, And, you know, one of the things that I found telling is around the time that I was working on this Alberta Views piece, I was also looking for a school for my child. Mm. Went to five different schools. One of them was a private school. The only thing that was different about the private school, besides the uniforms, was small classes. Mm. And I found that incredibly telling. They were like, of course, we we can guarantee that your kid is not gonna be in a class over 20 or whatever. We can't make that guarantee in the public system Mm -hmm. anymore. And that's a problem.
1: And why are those students in the public system less deserving of support and timely support than students who are going to private and charter schools?
0: I mean, that's a killer question. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Because you can't attempt to answer it without sounding like a real jerk. We're just saying there's
2: there's kids who are worth $30,000 of funding and there are kids who are worth ten thousand dollars worth of funding and i i do want people to understand we're sitting here in edmonton this is not an urban problem uniquely absolutely not fort mcmurray i looked up i just this morning because i'm a keener i like to do my homework before coming on to a (laughs) boy in the budget year i was looking at which was i think 2019 2020 they had an 8.7 percent enrollment increase and their funding was rolled back by a million dollars out of a 73 million dollar budget in fort mcmurray one of our fastest growing school regions
1: well and i think the problem too is the funding model we're currently sitting within this province it is a, a weighted moving average over three years and so um in urban centers that are having an Huge influx of enrollment, they are not getting the amount of money for stu- per student that they should be getting if it was a per pupil funding model. So you're getting students who are coming in with less money provided, which means the services and supports they get in that school are drastically impacted, whether that be physical space, whether that be access to um, technology or wraparound supports, mental health supports, et cetera. The reality is, kids are coming in with less funding, so they're getting less for them. Yeah, we
2: need we need to discuss the weighted moving average. I know it sounds boring. Can can we discuss the weighted moving average? (laughs) It does sound boring, but I have faith in
0: you, Lawrence, that you will make it compelling and exciting. And I'll tell you what, um, our live chat is humming. It looks like a stock ticker right now, and so I want to leave some time to get to that. I'm also curious now. He he just dropped in the little the little tidbit about the uniforms, and I remember a very interesting debate when. When I when I was a young in uh, the private school that I attended at the time did not yet have uniforms. It hmm. does now. And I remember discussion around that, the, the pros and the cons of moving to uniforms. And and uh, and there are jurisdictions around the world, of course, where public school I, students I wore I wear wore uniforms as well. Right.
2: Until the age of 14. So, so there you go. I.
0: I I just want to pick and that might not have anything to do with what we're
2: talking about, <laughs> but,
0: but maybe it does uh, more with uh, Carly Gren and Lawrence Mile in just a second. We're talking about Lawrence's feature in Alberta Views magazine, Bursting at the Seams. This is the September issue of the magazine for engaged citizens. And here at Real Talk, we're really proud to partner Uh, with Jackie and Evan and the entire team at Alberta Views. We wanted to let you know, if if you'd like to subscribe to Alberta Views, if you'd like to read more journalism that cuts to the heart of the issues that matter to people in this prairie province, you can subscribe right now by visiting albertaviews.ca. You're going to get 50% off the price of a one-year subscription, which means it's going to be 20 bucks to get 10 issues. What?! 20 bucks to get 10 issues delivered to your door. Just use the promo code AVRJ. That's Alberta Views, Ryan Jesperson. AVRJ at AlbertaViews.ca. Are you following KUBI Renewable Energy on Instagram yet? Now, I have a vested interest in their latest post. This is so much fun. You got to check this out. They're at KUBI Energy on Instagram. I had a chance to join some members of their leadership team at the recent CASA Golf Classic at Blackhawk. I was proud to host it, in fact. And and KUBI, one of the big sponsors of that tournament. Don't judge me. I know my swing looks absolutely terrible. Even worse when it's captured on video and played in slow motion. But the point is is this is a group of leaders in the sustainable and green energy space that also really understand and prioritize giving back to and investing in their communities we're so proud to partner with kubi renewable energy and i'd suggest you give them a follow on instagram if you want to see more great content like that video from the casa golf classic The family-owned Dairy Queens in Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park want to let you know that the September blizzard of the month is now available in Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, and in Sherwood Park at Baseline Road. Sweater season may now officially commence With the Pumpkin Pie Blizzard Treat Uh, This is uh, one of the classic fall flavors Featuring the world famous soft serve Mixed with real pumpkin pie pieces Even better, garnished with whipped topping And nutmeg The most quintessential fall spice You can pick up the Pumpkin Pie Blizzard Let them know that Real Talk sent you At the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton And Sherwood Park Also a heads up If you're a professional engineer If if this episode is finding you somewhere, anywhere in Canada, and you've got your PNG, Apex Automation wants to hear from you. This is Canada's fastest growing automation firm. They're working across industries, in the energy sector, in food and beverage. In economics, I mean, they are working with dozens and dozens of clients across Canada into the U.S. as well, a brand new field office in Texas, and they're looking to hire. If you would rather work for a team that puts people ahead of profits than where you are right now, where you feel like your productivity and your potential is just being stifled, take two minutes today and check out the careers link at apexautomation.ca hanging out with author and uh elementary school parent lawrence mile and we're talking to a veteran teacher of 11 years an elementary school teacher carly Gren, here discussing the latest feature in alberta views magazine bursting at the seams alberta's overflowing k-12 classrooms more on that in just a sec uniforms what do you think
1: <laughs> it's it's such an interesting topic i recall in in high school using that as like a debate topic, right? Yeah. Should we, shouldn't we? Because it's of a, a good, good one. It is a good one. You know what? I, I'm so torn on it. I think when it comes to freedom of expression, let the kids wear what they want. They're trying to figure out who they are and you know explore the, their identity. At the same time, I mean, it, it would be about a matter of cost. Yeah, You know, it, things are not cheap. If it's cheaper for families to pick what they, all, what they wear, then let them. I it's the least of my concerns right now when it comes to education <laughs> I remember
0: the debate back at Glenmore Christian Academy in in the in the late 80s early 90s when when they were making this decision ultimately decided to go with uniforms um, and, and maybe this is BS I don't know but but it, it kind of seemed to make sense was that if everybody's wearing the same thing mm-hmm. if there's a uniform look then you take out the pressure yeah. of I don't even know what the hottest brands are right now but I remember like couldn't, back in the day I mean I would yeah. I would really date myself if I started talking about uh, what the hottest <laughs> brands were but but you took that pressure yeah. away that uniforms created the equal or the yeah. level playing field you grew I, up wearing I, uniforms. yeah I mean
2: I can see the argument for that if literally everyone is wearing uniforms you know no one can go buy Gucci or Benetton or whatever it is nowadays and, yeah. and distinguish themselves in that way so there's no jealousy and competition you know, what What I saw when I lived in Montreal, though, where there's a large number of children who are in private schools is they really stand out. And I think that the uniforms are chosen for that reason. They want to stand mm-hmm. out. Their parents want to make this statement that, like, my, my kid is special and different and, frankly, more affluent than others. And, and, you know, many of them might be proud of that. So it can be sort of contentious if, like, not everyone has gone down that road. But I would agree with Carly, it's probably not the the most important thing.
0: Let's uh, jump into the live chat here and and I'm going to read just a whole bunch um if one jumps out at you in particular i want to give you a chance uh to address it. i love shows like this where i, pr- I promised we'd have you back to school by the lunch break <laughs> but we're gonna let this conversation breathe a little bit because issues pop up and, mm-hmm. and i told both of you ahead of time didn't i I said the live chat's gonna have some say about yeah. what we're getting into uh tony says i have many family members and friends that are teachers their classes are bursting at the seams uh, they're making the most of it but it shouldn't be like this more stress Uh, is not healthy. Final Mm -hmm. Buzzer says with class sizes that big, like Lawrence is talking about, there should have been an online option that stayed in place. That strikes me as more stress on the teacher, wouldn't it be?
1: Well, having gone through COVID and taught online, it's no walk in the park. Um, You know, I think the reality when it comes to programming is, is school boards are doing the best they can with the circumstances they're in. And the reality is having it, you'd have to hire more teachers still to run online programs because, um, you know, trying to teach in person and online at the same time is an absolute nightmare. And many of our uh, teachers in this province can speak to how difficult that is. So I think that there's some, again, that's a band-aid solution. Frankly, it's a band-aid solution to a big, big problem, a gaping wound in our education system.
0: Okay. Uh, Brian says, the Alberta advantage. Huh? Ken, throwing a little shade this morning, says, you know you're underfunding classrooms when the Fraser Institute puts it on their front page. <laughs> Shots fired from Ken. Tracy says, funding for schools is now based on last year's numbers. Yeah. So if yes. your school's 15% yeah. bigger, too bad. You're the, getting last okay, year's so, money. So we're
2: going to get into it. Yeah. The weighted moving average. So... The short story on this, schools are not funded according to how many students are in the schools as of right now. The funding formula was changed. The new one was implemented in September 2020. And under the weighted moving average, school boards get funding based on last year's enrollment. That's worth 20% of the weighted moving average. 30% of the funding is based on this year's estimated enrollment. And then... 50% is based on next year's projected Mm -hmm. enrollment. Now what this does is it really does protect shrinking school boards, uh, which predominantly are in parts of rural Alberta, for any school board that's growing, and especially school boards that are rapidly growing, like the example I gave you for Fort McMurray, they're completely disadvantaged by this because yeah. a big chunk of their funding is to, based on last year's figures. Yeah. And there is no corrective for this. You know, when I talked to Edmonton Public, they said we were out by the equivalent of 2,000 students uh, in the budget year that we were looking at, right? Like our, the funding fell short by the equivalent of two. Thousand students that seems pretty serious to me and we are always short like that right like because we've put this system into place for as long as Alberta continues to grow and school boards continue to add more students we will always be playing a game of catch-up so we've set ourselves up yet again to to fail in this yeah. regard. We've not set ourselves up for success.
0: You talked to Trisha Estabrooks, uh, you, you write about it in, in your piece, she's the chair of uh, Edmonton Public School Boards, uh, a trustee there, obviously, and, and a former journalist herself. Um, what struck you most about your conversation with her? What's she's a straight shooter, eh? Hey?
2: Yeah, I mean, she she said, we don't have enough schools we asked for. I mean, I forget the exact number. I think they, they in their, because each school board has to put to Alberta Education and Infrastructure the number of schools that they need. I think uh, Edmonton had said we want 12, they got one, right? So there's there's something going on, um, I think, in both Calgary and Edmonton, uh, other parts of Alberta where there's a lot of growth happening and we are not able to meet those demands quickly enough. And of course, this is an infrastructure problem, right? So it... it understandably takes time to build a new school we can't just magically create them because there's 2,000 new families in a given area right Mm -hmm. we're gonna have to solve this problem but something's broken down somewhere because we're not able to project demand in in anything like the sane rational fashion that we should be able to
1: i think that's where the frustration comes when it when when the narrative is we're funding schools we're building schools those schools are three to four years out so the students oh, in at least time, at least politicians exactly. love making well, announcements exactly. if they've if they've broken ground, perhaps four years. Right. And so the the narrative is that, oh, that all this is being done when in reality, students are drastically impacted by that process, no matter regardless of why it takes so long in a very negative way. And they don't see the possibility of having reduced class sizes or s- physical space for themselves by addressing those infrastructure needs. And we're doing it at such a slow rate that like you said, we'll never catch up, learns. well, we'll, and, we'll never catch
2: and up. And let's look at our old schools too. I mean, you know, my, <laughs> my kids go into a school that is a hundred years old. Yep. The building is over a hundred years old, and look, I'm very happy. Uh, you know, I think it's going to be a great experience for her. But a lot of schools don't have the air purifiers that we need. We 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 talked about this during COVID, but now we have a new problem: and that there's wildfire smoke. Right? Yeah. So, you know, frankly, in a province that that uh, has pr- big surpluses, thirteen right now, yeah. billion dollars surplus That's last yeah. year, and I understand that this doesn't happen every year. You know, we're on this roller coaster yes. ride uh of of the kind of fossil fuel economy that we that we live in and
0: the finance minister would remind us that we've got some significant debt to pay off we've got debts to pay off but if
2: we pay off debts at the cost of children's yeah. mental health being able to breathe clean air yeah. you know some a teacher reminded me just the other day you know like when we when we have the kind of smoky conditions that we do right now we literally can't let children outside so yes. <laughs> how are we going to accommodate for that if this becomes the the annual reality, should we not be investing in, in good indoor recreational space yeah. as well? Because this is the thing, for, for many communities and for many families, like, schools are the hub. That's, that's the lifeline. So if we don't invest in them, kids don't get, you know, if they don't get nourishing meals at home, if they don't have recreational opportunities, there's no books at home. Where are they going to get it from, if not the school? And First, the libraries. Libraries.
0: First day of school started off as a bit of a bummer for not just your yes. kids.
1: Yes. Uh, we went out for in- morning recess, but then we're indoors because the air quality dropped so badly. And I really appreciate what you said, Lawrence, because I can't open my windows. Um, I I teach in a very old building. Um, the There's no airflow. And we are restricted in the physical space we have to access areas to move and get these kids moving around and it it really impacts just just kind of the feel of the day mm-hmm. in a big way
2: yeah i mean kids need that outdoor time I'm, I'm convinced of it i see my daughter how she is emotionally after four hours of playing outside mm-hmm. versus being cooped up indoors yeah. like it's it's we, we've got to do better for children than this uh, live chat michael says alberta charter
0: schools are completely different than american ones um, I wish most people knew that, Michael. If you want to follow up in the chat and let us know specifically how or one key point you'd like us to focus on, um, Tracy says Alberta has long been celebrated for its educational innovations.
2: Uh, but for, is that true? We have, by many standards, have a. Tr- Traditionally, I want to say traditionally, we've had a world-class education system. Mm -hmm. You know, some of the measures for this is like the the PISA international achievement tests. I'm not a huge fan of standardized testing, but like these tests do show that traditionally Alberta has competed against the best in the world Uh, in terms of innovation. Right. You know, we were a leader, at least in the post-secondary sector for uh, massive online courses. Um, I think the school choice that exists here in Edmonton, I think some people would point to that as, you know, an innovative approach to giving parents choice within a public system. And we could go on. So I would agree with that. OK, yes. I'll,
0: I'll finish Tracy's thought or, or she's going to write in again and say, Jesperson, what the hell? Uh, Albert has <laughs> long been celebrated for its educational innovations. But for the first time this year, says Tracy, I had to admit to international researchers that we have nothing to offer. I mean, that's a. Uh, that's a heck of a uh, way to feel. Um, you that that struck a chord. I could tell when he when he touched on standardized testing. You just immediately yeah. Responded. recoiled. Yeah.
1: yeah, you know, uh, I think to to um, the commenter's statement is when you look at provinces and territories who have used our curriculum for years, and we've had this great relationship um, and and working relationship, and they've come to us for resources, and they're running the other way as fast as they can. When we have new curricula put in place, that says something. You know I'm not a fan of those standardized tests either, but it does speak to the success of our public education system and frankly, I'm going to shout out to my colleagues how hard teachers work in this province to have, to ensure their students' success, especially in the face of incredible battles and sometimes insurmountable odds.
0: can you uh, like when we, when we talk about basically teachers mm-hmm. um and i know you, you've you probably heard this right uh, oh it must be nice to have you know right <laughs> oh i've heard it all you're done every day at three uh, you know you, you get every weekend off you get your whole summers off mm-hmm. basically quit your bitching is mm-hmm. what people are saying yes uh and and then you also hear of teachers that on on uh, relatively i mean if, if you look at The going rate for people that have uh, attended university and got at least one degree, although it seems to me, anecdotally, again, anecdotally, it seems like there's more graduates dude Mm -hmm. like I'm talking more more teachers with master's degrees these days if you look at the starting salary for people with master's degrees I'm not sure that that teachers are uh, fairly paid (laughs) let alone overpaid but I do know also I mean I'm going to sit here and I'm I'm the kind of twisted up weird one I'm I'm all over the map people will say I'm a left winger I'm a right winger it's not (laughs) true I'm I'm pretty issue specific Mm -hmm. on things and so I can in my mind and in my world justify support for private schools and also justify more cash and more resources for Mm -hmm. public schools like I I, I can kind of get into that one sure. um, but it is not unusual as if I need to tell you this for pe- teachers to be paying out of pocket uh, for classroom resources as a matter of fact yeah. uh, let me ask you in the form of a question mm-hmm. uh, is that the norm
1: um, I would say yes I think there's been been a pushback at least in the people in my circle to um, recognize that we cannot carry the burden of an underfunded system on our shoulders and um You know, I want to address one thing you said because it's an argument I hear all the time about, oh, teachers get summers off. I think people need to understand what deferred salary is. Deferred salary means I am getting a 12-month salary that is split over um, the time, or excuse me, 10-month salary that is split over the 12 months that I work. Um, And so I'm getting less per month that I've earned in order to continue getting a paycheck that I've already earned in the summer so I'm not being paid for summers off and so I think there's a just a general misconception and and this notion that because people went through school as a student they know what it's like to be an educator in a school um, things are that's not the case <laughs> uh, it's not the case and I mean I I have spent a lot of my own money thousands and thousands of dollars in books. Um, I have a very big classroom library and I don't do it to have people recognize it. I do it for one reason and one reason only, like my colleagues. We do it because we know it, it supports the success and overall environment for our students.
0: Johnny and I were talking about this off-air a while ago. It's it's always interesting to see um, what the up-and-coming crop looks like in your profession. And, uh, I mean, there's there's dire headlines everywhere about the Mm -hmm. state of Canadian media, and I wonder, like, what... I don't want to go on the record, but just just between the three of us. Like, I wonder what tell anybody. I wonder what 19 year old in their right mind uh, would look for a career in journalism right now. And that is so discouraging. Mm -hmm. Isn't that a gut punch? Well,
2: you know, this is it. Like journalism and, and, and teaching are obviously very different occupations. But you know what they have in common? They are fundamental to the functioning yeah. of a democracy. 100%. If you don't know what's going on in a democracy, like if you as a citizen don't understand these issues that we're talking about right now because journalists, you know, there are they're not enough of them to tell these stories, which I believe is actually the case right now. There's not enough journalists to tell these you. stories. Then democracy suffers. And democracy sure as hell suffers if we don't have a good public education system, right? And you don't have to go back that far when public education was not the norm, mm. right? It was, it was a choice. You could leave at 14. And you know what? There were, there were plenty good enough reasons back in the day for that to be the case. Nowadays, I think people would make the argument that a public education system is, is, is pretty vital because so many jobs require an education. I can't really think of too many where... And, and Lois Hall... You know, our former lieutenant governor, I've I've forgotten the inspirational quote that she gave, but she basically said something to the effect of everything we've achieved as a society... Over the last hundred years, is because of public education. Mm-hmm. It all starts there.
0: Lois Hall, uh, one of Alberta's crown jewels, I think it's fair to Absolutely. say a, a beloved Albertan. Can I, um, can I add something? Well, to I that? wanted to add. Yeah, please do. And and and, and and in and, and in continuation of that, I yeah. wanted to ask you what you see uh, with the upcoming crop of educators. I mean, Lawrence's piece opens with a, mm-hmm. a student teacher burned out after seven <laughs> weeks.
1: Um, well, I I think too to Lawrence's point, I we have to take a step. Back and look at what we want as, for our society as a whole. That's the general the general notion that we need to have when we're talking about public education. It's we can get in, lost in the minutia of funding and models and this and this. But if we want to have a successful public education, successful society, one of the foundations is public education. And it's not just that they're learning academic um, concepts or skills. It's that now, as Lawrence pointed out, there's a, a myriad of things that schools are now taking on to support students. Those mental health concerns, learning social emotional skills, teaching manners. That, I'm, that's a very basic thing that I spend a lot of time on with my elementary students. And so if we start to erode that or, or allow this erosion to continue, what is our society gonna look like? And you know, to your question about student teachers or the future of, of teaching, I worry about it. Um, I, I know a lot, like this is my 11th year, I know a lot of um, colleagues and friends who are making exit strategies Hmm. and they are planning, finding ways out. They are making plans and prepping. um, and, And that's a scary thought because You then have teachers retiring. You have a chunk in the middle who have left the profession. And then you have these new folks who are coming in who are going to struggle without support from their colleagues who won't know kind of the dynamics of the profession and how to navigate the overwhelming feelings that you get in this role.
0: Can I, uh, I, I try to not end interviews on a bummer, (laughs) but sometimes real talk, you know, it it is what it is. (laughs) It's real. Um, but, but we open, uh, and, and again, people can read your piece at albertaviews.ca. They can subscribe on the website as well. But you, you open with a 33-year-old student teacher, Martin, not his real name, and you wrap your piece uh, with a 43-year-old Carly. Uh, not this Carly. No, way. a different Carly. Um, <laughs> spelled differently and everything. Uh, a teacher with more than a dozen years of classroom experience. Uh, and, and, and Carly's statement is quite
2: striking. Yeah, I mean, I, I I not haven't memorized her statement, but she I, says I, kids are sad. Kids are sad. Yeah. So I think that one of those things is it. It speaks to the the attention, the issue of any any parent understands that what their kid wants more than anything is is attention. They want their parents' attention when they're at home, but in school, they want the teacher's attention. Yeah. Now there is an element of manners to this, like wait your turn, you know, someone is ahead of you, whatever. But if you have a super big class. The children do not get the attention that they need, and that runs across the whole... Yeah. What I liked about Carly's quote there in the article, is she said, that lack of attention, not only is it a disadvantage to students that might be struggling, it's a disadvantage to the students who are super high achievers because they don't get pushed to achieve even more. She gave the example, they don't get pushed to enter their essay into a writing competition, right? And when I, when I put myself back... Uh, To my own schooling experience, it was those teachers that took the extra time to push me to try something new and to work harder and to learn something that was initially difficult. Those are the teachers that made the difference. I believe that Alberta has thousands of teachers that do that. But if you have classrooms bursting at the seams, their opportunities to create that magic in the classroom are greatly reduced. And look, you know, I, I am going to be optimistic because, you know, from the very highest political level, we're told we're a growing province. We're encouraging people to come here all the, t- all the time. We are future-oriented. Schooling is all about the future. Mm-hmm. I believe if the public, and in particular parents, can, can come on side and support the public education system... We can definitely make it better.
0: Uh, I invited Michael to follow up on, on his statement that he, he wished that people understood the difference between charter schools in Alberta uh, mm-hmm. and charter schools in the states and he did. I appreciate that. Michael says Alberta's charter schools are open to everyone and are not private. Um, they specialize in, in oftentimes specialty programs like traditional learning. Uh, school fees are similar to neighborhood public schools. Um, does that align with, with what you understand about how they're how they're operating or what the structure is? Yeah, I
2: think we need to go back though to the original, what we were discussing earlier about what's what's the- the key concept behind a charter school—it's to try things out, spread them out across the system. The selection criteria can be quite different. I mean, the thing about a charter school is that they're all—they're all completely unique. So um, there are governance issues that are quite different. Mm-hmm. I certainly don't think that, that, that this would be a constructive conversation if we, if we got bogged down in the details about charter schools. I think the point mm-hmm. here is that we've got to safeguard the funding and grow the funding for yes. the public system, yeah. because again, we're bottom in Canada. I don't know how many Albertans would be proud of that fact, yep. given how vital education is going to be to our future.
0: I think that, that a lot of people are going to be learning a lot uh, and coming to a realization after listening to this podcast or watching this episode. Um, I told you that there would be people with informed and lived experience in our live chat. Listen to this from Donna, who says, students with gaps in learning due to depression or anxiety uh, may need more than just sitting in a classroom with 30 other students uh, donna says students from the young offender center are are brought to us by social workers uh sounds like donna's doing uh, important things with her career uh, mark here mark doran who's been a fierce advocate for everyday albertans he was on the show just a few weeks ago talking about orphan wells and all mm-hmm. kinds of stuff if you want to look back in our episodes he says do i have to repeat the broken record raise oil and gas royalties they're a pittance they're the lowest in the world uh, put the money into social programs not foreign investors Pockets yeah. uh, That from Mark, I, I don't have to remind everybody what's happened to every single premier that's talked about a royalty review, though. Rachel Notley, Ed Stelmack, the two most recent. For whatever reason, Albertans tend to punish the premiers or the political leaders that would suggest that maybe we should get more bang for our buck, that maybe we should get more for our natural resources. Uh, well, Justin... And
1: my question would be, yeah. aren't kids worth it? Aren't kids worth us pushing back against... These billion-dollar companies, don't these kids deserve a society and a communities who will advocate for them and fight for the very best that they should be getting And as they grow into the, these citizens of our society? It frustrates me to no end that we sit here and we, we – and I say we, I'm obviously generalizing, but things are spewed about the future and this and this and how we're doing all of these things when we're actually not. And my amazing colleagues are picking up the slack – and supporting kids in every way they can and driving themselves sick and making them unwell mentally, physically, all the above to do the best that they can for those students and are still getting crapped on left, right, and center.
2: And, and, and you know, I will go back to the funding formula, even though it's, it's kind of a bit wonky because if you're not putting money in that's equal to the number of yes. students in the system in a given school year, that's a big problem. The other thing I think was a real learning journey for me in writing this piece, is how much paperwork and administrative mm-hmm. work is dumped onto teachers to try to make the case for extra funding for students that need it. So a kid who shows up from, from Ukraine with little to no English, do you think that kid should maybe be given extra support to catch them up to, to, to grade level for English? I think the, 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 most people would say, yeah, we need some extra support, support for that kid. Well. The case you have to make to alberta education uh the the annotation that you have to do on the essay uh the special forms that you need to complete and then this the support may come six months later are you talking you're talking about the teacher does this paperwork? yes yes do you you have personal experience in this by Uh, chance or know people that do
1: yes (laughs) lots of lots of paperwork lots of documentation um required for any type of support, whether it be English language support, whether it be behavioral support, speech language support. And that, and the reason that that is the case, um, you know, the paperwork aside, you're saying six months. Well, we're looking at you know, a year, two years. So these kids are now being triaged basically at school levels to, because they are only given a certain amount of spots to see a speech language pathologist. And so there are students who are not getting the supports, those wraparound supports that they deserve and are in need of because those specialists, um, those are the first people to get cut with budget cuts when there's not enough money. Um, They are working one of these specialists to, you know, a thousand students. So when we really get through all the mud, kids are suffering because of the lack of funding. Period.
0: Yeah. We, we haven't even touched on like a child arriving from Syria or Ukraine or elsewhere uh, with uh, quite possibly yeah. and maybe even quite likely um, some mental health mm-hmm. needs as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's PTSD absolutely or otherwise. that's absolutely happening.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, and yeah, you know, absolutely. if if children are given Small group or one-on-one time and attention from a specialist. You know, I think that in many cases they can overcome the really challenging backgrounds that they have. But you know, this is one of the reasons there's so much pressure on Alberta's education system Mm -hmm. is that we are, in a sense, we're we're a victim of our own success. People want to come here. They want to, and families want to put their kids into the public education system. Um, at a higher rate than they do in other provinces. In Quebec, the rate is lower than it is in Alberta. The private system is bigger. The public system is is smaller proportionately. Mm -hmm. So we have over many decades built something really good. I always feel like it takes longer to build something than it does to start to chisel away on it and start to pick at it. And I hope that we can can turn that around because we we are in a period of of erosion, frankly. Mm -hmm.
0: I mean, yeah, isn't it kind of like this sick irony that when you talk about uh, government investment or as they would put it, government expenditure in, into files like education, they'll say, well, we, what debt do you want to leave for the next generation? Uh, Nobody talks about the the intellectual or social deficit created. But you yeah. you, you worry about the next generation. It's like oh, I'm going to get in trouble for this. But it, but it, but it's like it, it's like the pro-lifers that care about the fetus but not the baby once it's born. Pro-birthers, you, know they, you mean? Yeah, pro-birthers, right? So it's 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 the same sort of idea. Like we're worried about the debt load that the next generation will face, but we're not worried about the quality of their education yeah. right now,
1: or their lives, the quality of their lives as as they grow into adults. That's that's what we're talking about, and and again, it's investment. That's why you know healthcare and education being the two biggest portfolios. And uh, there's reasons for that. Those are investment pieces, and if we don't invest in those, our society is in big trouble.
0: Yeah, um, TD says this just breaks my heart. Uh, my cousin who taught in an inner city school would buy mm-hmm. snacks and yeah. fruit for her classroom just so her kids could have a healthy something to eat uh and this was an expense that she took on zoe in our chat uh, says teachers in alberta have done a great job navigating the last few difficult years a salute to them we should prioritize critical thinking and problem solving the new curriculum is based off memorization and repetition it's going backward I feel like we did a string of shows. I mean, this was back when Chris Champion was named, under the previous premier, Jason Kenney. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris Champion, the residential school denier, was named essentially the, the chief author. That's not the official title, but he, he mm-hmm. was quarterbacking the curriculum mm-hmm. rewrite. And people went, you got to be kidding me. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a tough look. And then I feel like the curriculum issue was a non-issue during the most recent uh, provincial election. Yeah. Not to say that people don't care about it, but it's off folks radar right now. Yeah. Not off yours, I bet.
1: Nope. It's... it's- was quite disheartening to see how little education was on parties' platforms, um, with, and was in the general conversations with as uh, with citizens. Um, I I specifically teach math and science uh, as the core subjects, and so I'm in right now implementing the new division two math curriculum, and it's. All the concerns that were brought forward previously by experts and by parents, Dr. Carla Peck is a great example of somebody who is an expert on this, um, about it being developmentally inappropriate, pedagogically unsound, um, are all still valid. The concerns that things are being bumped down multiple years, so I'm going to be teaching my my students things that are in are from the grades seven and eight curriculum previously they don't have foundational knowledge for those things so it's one more layer of um one more problematic layer i guess that is going to create students not having success not enjoying school not wanting to be there um, then you talk about the fate lack of face time with their teacher when they're struggling they they're them struggling with something that is beyond their scope at this point developmentally as well as not having the opportunity to sit with their teacher because the class sizes are so massive, we're, we're creating this perfect storm of, I, I don't even know a word for it. It's it's In my mind, it is absolutely a nightmare scenario. Uh,
0: Cannabis Rex, uh, number one, great comment, says to everybody, hit the like button, 100%. <laughs> and number two says, uh, I watched almost all of the... Uh, doom-driven environmental episode just yesterday. <laughs> Thanks for that. Um, uh, I don't know if I'd call it. Well, I guess that is what it was. We talked to Ann Shabata-Castleman, mm-hmm. um, a McLean's contributor. She's written for like the Walrus, National Geographic. I mean, a phenomenal career. Um, talking about Canada in the year 2060. I don't know if you guys have... It's, it's almost like... Oh, yeah. I read <laughs> that. That's almost, scary. Right? That's scary and so she was on yesterday. People yeah. should listen to it. But, but anyway, catamus's uh, comment says, uh, I'm not sure how kids are dealing with the climate change issue right now. We did talk to to a researcher back on April 21st of this year. It was our uh, our real talk roundtable ahead of Earth Day. If people want to listen to it, and this researcher from Athabasca University is is looking at the impact of climate change on kids' mental health. Mm-hmm. Are you seeing that?
1: Um, I would say yes. My age group that I work with, they're a little more unaware of it. Okay. Um, our science curriculum that we teach does. Um, teach things about the environment and specific ecosystems and weather and whatnot. So there is the need to build in that um, climate awareness, the climate crisis awareness topic. And it is a, frankly, it's a hard thing to navigate because I don't want to be doom and gloom for my 10 year old students, but the harsh realities of what, of what they're going to be dealing with is, is pretty hard to walk away from. I think our older students are definitely seeing it in a real way. And they're from, Uh, colleagues I've spoken to who teach high school and and junior high, there's a lot of anxiety around what that's going to look like for them.
2: And I, you know, if I can just interject, you know, on this one, I think that the only way you can kind of be a climate optimist is by educating yourself about the issue and then learning how to implement the solutions, Mm -hmm. right? And so it does, again, go back to education. You know, one of my previous jobs, I was working in an engineering faculty at Concordia in Montreal, and the people who are incubating solutions that need to be scaled out at a, at a high level for us to, to rise to this challenge, um, whether it be, you know, renewable energy, uh, more efficient waste management systems, um, hydrogen, all, all of the things that we need, even modular nuclear reactors, right? Like, we have to be smarter as a society mm-hmm. to rise to this challenge, like, so... Going back to the K to 12 education system, we need to give children the learning conditions Mm -hmm. that will give them a sense of agency, of responsibility, of empowerment. And again, you can't do that uh, when classrooms are bursting at the seams and you just, in some cases, kind of dealing with classroom management, like the basics. Like, can we get people to kind of calm down for a sufficient amount of time to sort of listen and and you know and I want kids to do exciting stuff at my my kids school they'll be able to go down into the river valley and learn about their local ecosystem and I think that's absolutely fantastic you know taking 20 kids down into the river valley would look very different than taking 40 kids down, right? So there's practical, logistical yeah. reasons why we should have smaller classes.
1: And I think to that point too, when I think about you know the, the work and the subjects that I teach, when I don't have the physical space in my room because my class sizes are so big, I can't do group work or I have to lose a significant portion of my day moving desks and trying to orient things so we can be physically active in our learning. And and that's a very different experience. And, and research has shown that it's a lot more effective than sitting at a desk and listening to a teacher talk or reading a piece of paper or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So we're impacting their experience as learners, but we're exp- also impacting what they take away from that learning opportunity.
0: I just I, I want to touch on something because you, you talked to us about uh, per-student funding. Um, And and these numbers by province are for 2019, 2020. so it's a a, a few years aged, but Alberta spending the least uh, per student of any jurisdiction in Canada. Quebec spending the most, followed by Newfoundland, Manitoba, Nova Scotia. What is it about Eastern Canada? What is it about Western Canada, for that matter? B.C., Saskatchewan. There's New Brunswick in there.
2: Oh, can I can I point out a major difference with Western Canada is we have half day kindergarten. Right. So other provinces are offering full day kindergarten. We have half day kindergarten. Mm-hmm. So there are there are some major differences that would would account for why we automatically come out of the gates kind of further behind. But we were much higher up this list five years ago. Mm-hmm. OK, right? so so whiskey in the live chat says uh,
0: says, but Alberta has the lowest class size of any province or territory in Canada. The, I've been fact checking on the fly as we're talking here and it appears to me to be untrue. Uh, the Fraser Institute, but again, these numbers are three years old reporting that Saskatchewan had the lowest class size, an average of twenty-two and a half; uh, Quebec, the highest at 30. Did you dig into where Alberta stacks up across the country with regards to class size or the number of I, students?
2: I am not sure everyone's collecting that data in a uniform mm-hmm. enough manner for us to, to say. I will, I will say a promising province in this regard is British Columbia. Yeah. Because they, the teachers, have negotiated into their contracts classroom conditions. And I think that this is actually the solution, is that once you have it negotiated in a contract, you have your salary, you have your pay, you have your benefits, right? But you have an understanding of what is the optimal class size and the kind of supports from educational assistance that you're gonna have, Um, then you start to be able to create Optimal conditions that are protected over time BC situation the government tried to roll that back by the way They tried to take it out of teachers contracts these classroom conditions Stipulations and they lost at the Supreme Court Okay, so they lost that in 2016 and and so I looked at the contracts from 2020 and they're still in there So I would suggest that in Alberta if we care about this deeply enough which i certainly do as a concerned parent is that we need to move to put this stuff into contracts so Mm -hmm. that they become binding and it and it will put responsibility back where it truly belongs which is the government
0: in in the chat i think it was chris Uh, forgive me i don't have it in front of me but but someone someone said i think it was chris i can't take this conversation seriously until we address that teachers unions are just too powerful now I found about 15 reasons uh, in the last hour and 10 minutes to take this conversation seriously. But but why don't we touch on that? Are our are, are teachers unions too powerful?
1: Um, I would say if you appreciate your weekends, then you should thank a union. Um, I think unions have a lot that have done a lot of work. that could have contributed to the well-being of everyone. Um, and I think, frankly, that detracts from the big problem again. That's that's. We can talk all we want about unions and power and whatnot, but that completely disregards the fact that students are being underfunded. Our public system is being undermined. And I think it's it deliberately ignores the harsh reality that our kids are experiencing. So I, I don't know if I even want to get go there because I think it's irrelevant to the this much more important topic.
0: Okay, let me ask you this In, as we wrap. Um, you talked about colleagues of yours. These are real-life people, real humans, yeah, uh, real humans that you say are, are are either considering or making an exit plan. Mm-hmm. What do you think would change their mind? Like, what meaningful, doable action on this would change their mind?
1: Um, I think Lawrence's point about the con- the including um, class size caps in contracts would be huge. Um, as a start, number one, I think that that holds the government into accountability for everyone. The teachers see it as a piece of accountability. Parents can see it as a piece of accountability. But I think, too, there needs to be, and I'm going to speak for myself. Uh, I don't want to speak for my colleagues about this, but there needs to be more public support for teachers, more vocal public support for educators, public education, um, because it's really easy to to dump all over somebody Um, and dump all over a profession when those people are going in every day doing the best they can for their kids and so you know get involved with your parent your school's parent council Um, get involved have a voice rally those parents to write call meet with their MLAs to speak about the concerns um, because those are the people who are taking those concerns to the higher the higher positions of authority and letting your teacher your kids teachers know that you appreciate them is something very simple to do. But I think the bigger, the bigger issue needs to be action on a contract level. And I think that would maybe encourage people to, it would give them hope. I think to see that there's hope down the road. Uh,
0: th- there was a different uh, call to action issued on this show a couple of weeks ago. I'm not sure how familiar either of you are with take back Alberta or its founder, David Parker, Mm -hmm. uh, who I believe, your your whole face just tensed up. Oh,
1: no, I'm Uh, calm and neutral. (laughs) Wow, did your face ever tense
0: up? Um, I I believe, and I could stand to be corrected, but I do believe that David Parker is a product of homeschooling. Um, but, uh, But he let us know on this show in an interview that's proving to be very valuable for people that are seeking to understand more about this individual who who has, like it or not, a great degree of sway in conservative politics in, in Alberta and maybe across the country right now. But he told us on this show, his M.O., I said, what's next? He said, we're coming for the oh, school I boards. Yes. And then he tweeted, uh, his Twitter has gone off since he was on the show last couple of weeks. He basically said to the progressives out there, we will beat you because we will work harder I mean he issued essentially an ultimatum Mm -hmm. and it's going to be I think up to community members and parents that would oppose him ideologically uh, to quite frankly they may not appreciate how I put this but to get off their ass and to start getting more involved
1: I I look at it as um, all students deserve a safe space period they deserve a space where they are welcomed and accepted and I worry that Not everyone sees that and not everyone is going to work with um, and get into those positions possibly for the best interest of students and that their intention will be something other than the well-being of children. And This
2: this won't be the first time that people have been encouraged to get worked up about an issue and blow (laughs) it out of proportion. I did for one week teach creative writing in in a school in, in Edmonton. Uh, I've never been in this position before I had you know a small class of very eager students who had signed up for this camp it was during the summer so I say teacher you know between quotation marks (laughs) and I was early on told about the pronouns of the students in the room this is back in 2017 I made one slip up uh, and a kid came to me and said you know the teacher who just went to the bathroom that was they not he It was like, understood, we moved on. This is being blown out of all proportion. This is not a divisive issue in schools. It's being turned into a divisive issue by people with a vested interest in eroding the public system because they know what's going to happen. Once you get parents really worked up about their children, what are the schools doing to my children? Hey, teacher, leave them kids alone. We have a long history of suspicion of schools and hostility toward teachers. So I totally side with Carly here. If Take Back Alberta wants this to be a fight, then the pa- the parents that care about public schools need to come out and fight, protect yes. their public schools, keep them as safe spaces, yeah. and make sure the money goes in for stuff that we really care about, which yeah. is classroom conditions. Yeah. Do, do kids have... Adequate nutrition, Mm -hmm. you know, why don't we move to full-day kindergarten instead of half-day kindergarten? I know parents this is this this fact alone is causing a huge headache for their day So not to mention cost. Yeah, well, I know in my neighborhood. There's parents who are spending $340 a month on busing so they can send them from this side of the neighborhood over that side to the other side of the neighborhood so they can go to daycare yeah. for the second half of the I day. I hear what people That's are paying absurd. for childcare and I don't know how it's families
0: outrageous. are doing it. You've got, oh. uh, you know, let's say in a two-parent family, you know, you have a, a double income and for all intents and purposes, I mean, unless both family unless both parents are, are earning six-figure salaries, it almost seems like the, the, the entirety of one yeah. salary is, yeah. is paying for Absolutely. the childcare. Um, you're wearing a she, her lapel pin. How yes. come you're wearing it?
1: Uh, I always introduce myself with my pronouns and I try to make sure I have a pin. I wear one at school. Uh, and for me, it just shows that I am an ally and that I am um, a trusted person for the 2SLGBTQ community and my students. And the I have to say, again, the the blowing out of proportion of of these human beings' existence is so harmful, and yet what I see in schools is love, support, kindness, acceptance, um, hope for the future, and and when I look at my students in our GSAs, or just in the hallways, and they're all of those things and more, I, I have hope for our future, I have hope for their future, but we need to set them up for success, and we do that by Properly funding the system that they're you in. You know,
2: and I, I hope we don't get to a point. I think there's been schools in the United States where parents so riled up about these issues showed up and were protesting outside schools. Oh, we still, that, happened. Know, that happened in Red Deer last yep. year. I mean, you know, oh. these are people that are there fighting for the kids while they
0: terrify entire populations yeah, I think, of kids. I, I do
2: not want to see that happening here, and right? If, if it if is may, happening here. You know, to
1: your point about that student coming up. I think people disregard students' perspectives and kids' perspectives on this issue. Um, the kids are okay when I, is, is kind of like my go-to. When I think about pronouns um, and, you know, sharing my prono- pronouns or having a pride flag in my classroom, we talk about it, I introduce it, and we move on, and the kids go, okay, cool. And they're so much more accepting that I think people are willing to realize um, and give them the credit for.
0: Hmm. All I know is that I have people that are dear and very close to me, uh, biologically and otherwise, um, that uh, that are members of the LGBTQ2S plus community and that uh, even though on the outside, many of them had such uh, brave and confident exteriors. Um, battled with uh, feelings that they didn't belong uh, in extreme circumstances uh, battled with uh, or in some cases continue to deal with and live with suicidal ideation. Um, And and I always just think, you know, we talk about, this show has had so many conversations about like representation in Mm -hmm. media. We've had conversations about about equity and EDI initiatives Mm -hmm. and the economics of EDI and corporate structure and like all kinds of things. And it all comes down to one message and that that is that young people need to see themselves yeah. represented yeah. and i think that you know as, as far as i can tell um you know if 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 a student in the back of the classroom or maybe in the front row um enters an environment where they find that they are uh, represented, appreciated, respected, uh, then that can go such a, a long way. You know, it's 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 such a gut punch as if I'm going to lecture a teacher on this. <laughs> There's no um, lecture. But uh, I don't know if you saw this. I think it was in... Johnny was laughing at me the other day because I was watching this you know you can find on YouTube these police body cam episodes Mm. have you seen this and they just Mm. like put out raw body cam and there was a teacher in the US I think it was in Nebraska I don't remember where it's actually quite a sad uh, situation but her principal had to call in the police on the first day of school and breathalyze her in the afternoon. I and she, she blew triple the legal mm-hmm. limit. Uh, she blew a point two four at school. Uh, she had wine in her cup Anyway, that's not the point, mm-hmm. but it was the comments I was reading on the episode. And one in particular where, where, you know, many people were rightfully saying what a sad story. This woman mm-hmm. obviously is ill. This woman has a disease. Uh, she should get the help that she needs, et cetera. And then yeah. one person said, I grew up in an alcoholic home. Mm. I grew up in a home where alcohol was the enemy and school mm. they said the reason why I am so offended by this is that school was my only safe mm. space mm. and that just hit me like a ton of bricks.
1: That's yeah that's that was a definitely a sad situation and I think first and foremost that person is a human and they have my compassion and I hope that they're all sure. right. you know but I, I appreciate your point because I while having both parents who were teachers, I became a teacher because of my teachers. Huh. I was incredibly fortunate to have an a, just an amazing group of teachers my entire education, um, and my and school for me was just a place of joy. And those relationships that's we don't remember the the math test, we don't remember the social studies lesson. We remember how our and teachers know this, and parents know this. We remember how people make us feel and the ability to create and cultivate those positive relationships is only possible with, with the right conditions and class, massive class yeah. sizes prevents that from happening. If I can't talk to one of my students in a day, our relationship isn't gonna get any better. It,
2: an example that a teacher gave me, and I thought this was also a pretty disturbing uh, and heartbreaking example, is what if you have a student who's written an essay about a, a personal trauma mm. that she's experiencing? and the teacher doesn't have time to read it for two weeks. So then the student is left thinking, well, my teacher doesn't care about that Uh, issue I'm facing. Well, it's not that the teacher doesn't care. The teacher has 40 essays to read and can't get to your essay for two weeks. This is the critical thing that we have to to realize about now in the the kind of digital connected social media age, person to person attention and relationships are more valuable than ever. If we don't protect those relationships in the school place and give them space and valorize them, you're going to have students that start to just disconnect. And, you know, I'm I'm outing myself as a as a small L liberal here. I'm subscribed to The New York Times and they've twice now reported on the fact that 10 percent of students are not showing up every day on any mm. given day. 10 in, percent in and this is all across the United States. Wow. So. I would not want to see those kinds of numbers here in Alberta because we didn't give the students the attention they deserve in our classrooms. Yeah.
1: It's a slippery slope, though. It's yeah. it, We're at the top of a slide for an elementary teacher analogy, I guess. But we're at the top of a slide, and where we go from here is all about the decisions we make in support of our public education system.
0: Remember when I told you, too, that we may even go 30 or 40 minutes
1: on this conversation. (laughs) I just looked at
0: the clock and went, wow. And there's a lot that we haven't even touched on. Um, MD in our live chat says, uh, Boy, I wish that Carly would have been my elementary school teacher. <laughs> Her students are lucky. Simple as that. Um, and uh, I just want to thank the both of you so very sincerely for joining us. Uh, Lawrence mile is the uh, author of uh, this uh, newest uh, cover story in Alberta Views Magazine, "Bursting at the Seams: Alberta's Overflowing K to Twelve Classrooms." You can read it right now at albertaviews.ca. We do encourage you to subscribe with the promo code AVRJ to save fifty percent on a one year subscription and. Carly Hren is a, a veteran elementary school teacher from a large urban district, and we're so grateful that you, I mean, to be quite honest, I, 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 you didn't say anything wildly inflammatory, but still, it takes guts. Um, there's a lot of people that will write in, and I respect this, too. I totally respect this. People write in and say, please do not use my name. Yeah. And then they'll prove to us that they yeah. are who they say they are, and then they'll they'll provide pretty compelling testimony on a number of issues but here you are with your face and your real name and i can't tell you how much i respect that
1: thank you and I for what you're that. doing yeah. happy to be here
0: yeah you bet thanks to the both of you you can let us know what you think about what you've heard here on the show by sending us an email to talk at ryan i'm going to keep going so if the two of you want to hang out in the green room or do whatever you want if you've got to get going that's cool too
1: probably do i have we've kids, kept you way waiting longer for than me. we said carly so thanks a lot and thanks thank you. to you as well
0: Lawrence. thank you every wednesday we take you out To the mountains. And this week's going to be a very special edition because I'm going to show off. I'm going to tell you about our family vacation. Okay, Uh, this is a tradition uh, presented by our friends at Tourism Jasper every Wednesday. It's my Jasper memories. Now, you may have noticed that Real Talk was off uh, for the last week or so, and that's because it was my absolute delight, my honor, uh, as I posted about just a short time ago to host the annual Tee Up for Tots. Uh, This is an annual fundraiser, a golf tournament at the Fairmont Jasper Park Lodge uh, in support of the Stollery Children's Hospital Foundation. So it took us out to Jasper, took us out to the mountains, and and we figured that maybe we'd spend some more time out there as a family, which is what we did. We made Jasper our summer vacation destination. Um, Split our time between the Fairmont Jasper Park Lodge, obviously an incomparable location, and such a wonderful time out there. You you can see if you're watching on YouTube right now, we're showing you some photos of our little Noah Bear and Wyatt swimming in Lac Beauvert, And then we moved on to Takara Lodge, uh, which is just along the shores of the Athabasca River. Stunning views of the river. I mean, we spent so much time. We spent so much time out on that river watching the rafts go by and just an amazing experience and the culinary adventures too johnny i'm going to tell you if you were following me on instagram at ryan jesperson and, and paying attention to my stories you may have thought that all we did was hang out in restaurants and and you would be right (laughs) Uh, It was so much fun. Uh, Pine Bungalows has a phenomenal restaurant out there. Takara Lodge has a phenomenal restaurant out there. And I can tell you that the culinary scene out in Jasper is alive and well. Also, Popeye Jasper Pizza Place. You know, they call that the Eddie. That is an Mm -hmm. elk pizza, a braised elk pizza that you're looking at. Um, Also phenomenal. uh, I mean, the service out there and, and the stunning scenery. Uh, I mean, what what are you going to say? It's just a brunch in Jasper, grabbing an espresso or an Americano, uh, a latte for my beautiful bride and, and just cruising down Connaught and and uh, doing some window shopping. I mean, there's really nothing like it. And and who doesn't love this is back at Takara Lodge. You know, every evening uh, through the week, uh, their staff get a fire started in that big Uh, beautiful sort of octagon that campfire circle that octagon they've got and they make s'mores of these little s'mores kits for everybody and our little Wyatt Rudy Uh, I think this, this is embedded in the DNA Wyatt and I do our s'mores the same we just light the marshmallow on fire and let it burn out I know that a lot of people spend, uh, Carrie, uh, Wyatt's mom, my wife, she spends a little bit more time, like, perfectly toasting the marshmallow. Mm -hmm. I figure Chicago style, you just light it on fire, blow it out. It's perfect for s'mores. Uh, But just a beautiful, beautiful time in Jasper. We want to thank everybody that rolled out the red carpet for us. It was uh, an amazing time of year. The leaves are kind of just, just, just starting to turn. But September, uh, over these next few weeks, an absolutely wonderful time to visit Jasper National Park. So I wanted to put a few things on your radar. Number one, at at this time of year, and we could hear the elk, uh, we could hear them bugling uh, every night, the sound that carries over the Athabasca River, so you could hear it at night. We're sitting out there, Carrie and I having a glass of wine on our front porch at Takara, just listening to these bugles these elks the calls and it's because they're in a phase right now called the rut uh, where they're basically fighting other male elk they're fighting other bulls for dominance it's fascinating to witness but it's recommended because of the danger factor that you go on a local wildlife tour you don't want to kind of venture out yourself to try to find them they'll give you the best chance of spotting animals but also ensure that you stay safe you can find more details on that at jasper.travel there's also the tread lightly glacier tour The SkyTram Star Sessions. Um, If you check out rockaboo.ca, this is a really neat opportunity to go on a guided glacier hike, a guided climb, a guided guided ski. Uh, They also do guided mountaineering in Jasper, Canada. You can explore their trips again by visiting rockaboo.ca. We'll punch that into the show notes. Really, really neat opportunities to see Jasper in a way that the majority of people won't, but also safely, right? With an experienced guide. And remember that with those SkyTram star sessions, every Saturday night, every single Saturday night through the month of September, you have a chance to fly up Whistler's Mountain after dark for dinner and telescope viewing with astronomy experts. It sounds amazing because it is Uh, And then in October, that experience is offered every Friday and Saturday night if you're planning ahead into the fall. And if you like what you see, then make sure you get your tickets for the Jasper Dark Sky Festival. They've just added a third weekend, which means the festival is now going to stretch from October 13th through to the 29th, just before Halloween. You can get more information on these experiences and a whole lot more, again, at jasper.travel or jasperdarksky.travel. My Jasper Memories is presented every single Wednesday right here on the show by our good friends at Tourism Jasper. It ended up being a, I'm not surprised necessarily that our conversation went for almost 90 minutes with Carly and Lawrence because you know people care. Uh, a great deal about education. Mm-hmm. When, when they were talking about like classroom experiences and the like, are you thinking of a specific teacher? Is there is there like a specific <laughs> you did teacher? This last time, I know because like, I didn't don't have. One. I don't feel like <laughs> I gave you six months to think about it. But did you? But did is there is there one that like that, uh, that if you if you had to think of one that maybe had an influence on you that stood above the rest? Uh, the only one I can
3: remember, and it's because her name was so amazing, was Mrs. Peacock in in oh, grade three. Uh, but she was always like very nurturing for the creative side and she was always like, you know, not necessarily pushing, you know, she she let you find your way kind of thing. And I think that's the best thing. I was amazed at the discussion today talking about the size of classrooms. I can't even imagine that. When I was in grade school, I, th- I think it was about, I look at the pictures because we're talking about school yesterday and first day of school and I'm, I'm looking at the pictures of my grade school and it was like 20 kids. It was like 22 max. And now we're talking about double that, 40, 43. That just, it seems, it's, it, I don't know how, especially if you've got a class with, with, with students, like you were saying, with mental health needs. Yeah. There's all sorts of issues kids are going through these days, ADHD and all these things. I don't know how these, Teachers are doing their jobs, yeah, and, and they're all underpaid. Let's just say they're all underpaid. Let's, yeah, they, it's. They, I mean, they're they're also babysitters, they're caretakers, they're family members, they're
0: they're a lot of mental health counselors. They're and, they're and, they're
3: everything all rolled into one. Yeah, so it's so uh, true. And some of those numbers were were pretty shocking, especially with the funding. In this province being Alberta, at the bottom the lowest in the country it's, it's, it's embarrassing right right we're yeah.
0: the we're the richest province in the country and we spend the least in on education, education. for student <laughs> so wrap your mind around that uh, every once in a while i see a comment in the live chat and i think should i take should i should i make this person famous and, and, and i wrestle with it but i just there's there's a, just this clown in the live chat right now by the name of chris who says, you know, Ryan, let your guest slither away. First of all, beat it for that comment. What? What you're implying. Let your guest slither away from answering the tough question. What an unbalanced session. So people, yeah, now we're going to bring in the other side of the coin. Somebody who doesn't believe we should educate children at all. (laughs) Somebody believes we should spend even less. Uh, Chris, if you don't believe that there's balance on this show, go listen to my David Parker interview and then make sure you send me an email to apologize. I appreciate that.
3: I mean, I also understand that the province has had an influence of of people coming here. So that's obviously has something to do with the class sizes, right? But still doesn't yeah, doesn't excuse.
0: I promise JK at the beginning of this episode that i was going to read their email here Ooh. uh and this is uh says the subject line my thoughts on schools disclosing information to parents so if, if, if you've not been paying attention but you probably have you probably know that provinces like ontario and saskatchewan are now requiring parental input if a student uh under the age of either 18 or 16 depending on which story you're talking about uh wants to change the, the record uh you know the school records basically of their pronoun of their gender identity. Um, And J.K. says, uh, Jespel, the issue of whether or not schools should disclose information to parents regarding a student's gender or sexuality is an incredibly emotionally charged, difficult topic for a lot of people, but it's one of great importance. Um, As a stay-at-home parent of two kids aged 12 and 15, This topic is directly in my purview. By the way, let me say this. We always love when you establish kind of where you're coming from early in your email to let people know your frame of reference. Uh, JK says, this is something I could encounter. At first, I was admittedly defensive with the mindset of potentially leaning towards supporting a policy of mandatory disclosure. But after listening to many points of view from people with different lived experiences, I've evolved a new perspective. No wonder JK listens to Real Talk. Uh, My perspective is, I don't know. I don't know the answer, Uh, but here's what I believe. I believe that the vast majority of parents, certainly not all, want to be involved in their kids' lives for all the right reasons, and I also believe that the vast majority of teachers and administrators, certainly not all, uh, would withhold this information from parents for all the right reasons. It's the but-not-all minority in both these groups that caused me to be concerned. And quite frankly, I'm unsure of how these situations should be handled. Uh, Those that are strongly opposed to the disclosure policy have quite rightly been very vocal that there are kids that would be ostracized or abused or even worse at home if their parents were given this information. Most, if not all, those opposed to, I listen to, believe that leaving disclosure fully to the discretion of the teacher is the best and only option. But there seems to be very little discussion, little acknowledgement of the potential harm to kids done by a policy that solely leaves discretion to the teacher. Imagine a kid going through adolescence while struggling with gender identity or sexuality, thinking that the only adult they can tell is their teacher, that for whatever reason, they felt like their parent just wouldn't understand. Imagine that without an additional support system, the struggle eventually becomes too much to bear and they feel so alone that they take their life. Now imagine you are that child's parent and you know without a shadow of a doubt that you would have provided an incredible support system for them. Had you been given the chance, now you're burying your beloved child because an adult decided that they know better. They arbitrarily decided not to give you a chance to love and support your kid through that tumultuous time. Now, the overly simplistic and, quite frankly, bullshit counter to that example that I hear is something like, well, if you're a good parent, your kid will tell you. What a ridiculous statement, says J.K., Many of us had great parents, but didn't tell them a damn thing when we were going through adolescence. It's human nature to think that whether it's sexuality or drugs or alcohol or whatever, that even if you know that your parents love you, they're they're just old people that wouldn't understand. It's human nature to keep these things private, even in loving and positive households. I guess my point is there isn't a simple one-size-fits-all solution to this very nuanced and complex issue. And the real tragedy is that while those adults on both sides who insist that they have all the easy answers just bite down on their mouthpieces and throw haymakers at each other, the only ones who are really suffering are the kids. Those politically and ideologically driven sanctimonious assholes are the ones that I have a real problem with. And they're the only ones uh, that I would blame for the harm that could inevitably come. Uh, I quote H.L. Mencken. This quote has never been Uh, for benefiting of a situation, quote, for every complex problem, there is a solution that is clear, simple, and wrong. J.K. signs off, take care, my fellow Real Talkers. You can let me know what you think about that. Before we wrap for the day, Uh, I also wanted to get to an email from Kathy. Boy, does she ever write in from the heart And she writes in about our conversation with Ann Shabatta-Castleman yesterday about Canada in 2060, Canada and the impacts of climate change that extend well beyond changing coastlines and hotter fires and bigger floods. She talked about political extremism. She talked about economic turmoil. She talked about uh, ineffective prescription medication. She talked about airplanes, uh, airlines having to decrease their cargo loads because of thinner air and the the, the physics of of flight. And, I mean, a fascinating conversation. If you missed it, make sure you check it out. I'm going to get to Kathy's email in just a second. But first, I wanted to let you know that these conversations happen because of Real Talk sponsors, our partners, like our friends at Friesen Brothers, who want you to know that the annual corn roast is coming up. It's been a cherished tradition at Friesen Brothers that essentially kicks off the harvest season and the alberta beef roundup and it's coming up on september 9th which means that this weekend september 9th which is a saturday from noon to 4 p.m you can visit one of the 16 Friesen brothers stores across the province for an enjoyable afternoon with the community a great chance to immerse yourself in the spirit of the alberta beef roundup and we're going to be talking a whole lot about that over the next couple of weeks while connecting with your neighbors and discovering more about the alberta beef roundup tradition you can get all the details by popping in store at a friesen brothers or by visiting them online at friesen.com that's f-r-e-s-o-n.com hey it's never too late or for that matter never too early to get in touch with eden landscaping if you have a vision for your outdoor space could be front yard backyard or both It could be a brand new build or it could be a home in desperate need of a a curb appeal makeover. Eden Landscaping for more than 20 years has been bringing outdoor spaces to life. A custom landscape builder with more than 20 years of on-the-ground experience in Edmonton and area. We're trusting them with our backyard revamp we've been showing off some sneak peeks on our instagram my wife carrie at carrie skelton and myself at ryan jesperson and soon enough we'll be able to reveal the finished product to you we worked on a budget we had some specific goals and they are meeting them all Uh, It's why we're enthusiastic about working with eden landscaping you can find them online at landscapeedmonton.ca if your investment these days is is along kind of more gut punch lines if you're dealing with a flood it could be based on the rain that's happened you got an older foundation with some cracks in it or or maybe it was just a straight up flood if you're one of those alberta families that's been dealing with the fallout from wildfire complete care restoration is here for you you can find them at CompleteCareRestoration.ca or give them a call at 780-454-0776 uh, maybe you found some mold or asbestos in the course of a renovation and you recognize the importance of trusting that to a certified professional. That's what Complete Care Restoration is all about. And we give them, based on our firsthand experience working with them on our studio build, two thumbs up. Again, you can find them under the Sponsors tab on our website. And calling all decision makers, whether you're a business owner, big business like West Edmonton Mall or a small mom and pa shop, maybe a retail location or a restaurant. Or heck, maybe you're making calls on behalf of a municipality and bottom line is more important than almost anything else. If you're in charge of making decisions on garbage and recycling, on things like festival planning, fence rentals, portable toilets, water hauling, landfill services, local environmental services is here for you. If you're in Alberta or Saskatchewan, they believe that communities, including yours, deserve better, better service, better prices and more support for local causes Find them online at localenvironmental.ca. And don't forget, every single Friday, Local presents Trash Talk. It's your chance to blow off a little steam. You can send us an email, your rant, whatever the subject matter, to talk at ryanjesperson.com. So we talked to Anne Shabatta-Castleman uh, yesterday about Canada in 2060, and, and uh, she had some, uh, she painted a stark picture of what this country not could look like, but most likely will look like based on the data, based on the evidence, based on the science related to climate change. She talked about why a two degree increase in global temperature is a way bigger deal than a two degree increase cranking up the thermostat in your home uh, and it's an interview, it's an episode of Real Talk that I really, really encourage you to take the time uh, to take it all in because it's a very valuable and important perspective. Uh, it prompted Kathy uh, to send us an email just a couple of hours after that episode was live on YouTube, and she says, I really enjoyed that interview with Ann Kassel. and I think that I, I, I did um, intend on reading her article before she was on Real Talk, but I haven't got to it yet, And and now, to be honest, I don't know mentally uh, if I could handle it. She said a few things stood out to me as I listened to the episode, mostly feelings of guilt, fear and anger. Uh, Kathy says the first that old feeling of guilt of not doing enough to be more environmentally friendly. I would love to switch to solar. I'd love to go to geothermal and drive an electric car. But who's got the cash? Like, sure, it's great that the feds are offering that $40,000 interest-free loan. You can learn more about that, by the way, at kubienergy.ca. Uh, she says, but that still has to be paid back over 10 years. That's like 300 bucks a month. At the moment, I couldn't even afford car payments if my current ride goes kaput. And, and, and you have to fork out like 500 bucks to get a home assessment before you can even think of applying. Like, why does it seem like every climate change discussion puts the onus on individuals? Who's looking at industry? Who's holding manufacturing companies accountable? Why the hell do we need everything that we buy to be contained in plastic containers that oftentimes are 10 times bigger than the item we purchased? Kathy, I'm a big fan of Listerine breath strips, but the packaging is, I have a hard time justifying it. Kathy says, do you know how much water goes into like manufacturing a one liter bottle of pop? You know, some companies like Amazon boast that we can recycle their packages, but the fine print says, well, you first need to remove the label ever tried to remove an Amazon shipping label. You'd have better luck catching a greased pig. And why does it always feel like saving the environment is always up to Canada? Yes, I absolutely agree. We need to do our part. But but what we do as a country will add up to absolute squat if the rest of the world doesn't do their part. Kathy, this is the recurring theme of almost every conversation about climate action in Canada. She says, you know, the title of Anne's article should have been what the world will look like in 2060. What about mass migration when hotter climates uh, on Earth can no longer support plant or animal life? What about wars over fresh water when the rest of the world realizes that Canada has it most abundantly? It seems like all I ever hear about is reducing carbon emissions as related to our energy industry. What about all the other ways we need to improve? How about we have campaigns to raise awareness about the impact of consumerism? The amount of goods shipped to North America from overseas is abominable. Where's What's the carbon footprint of over 300 million people and all their annual purchases? You know, why do we just accept that all these junk goods that we buy will last for a decade at most before they wind up in landfills and we have to replace them? Do we really need to upgrade our electronic devices every couple of years? I mean, we all know they're manufactured to basically die out over that same period of time, but why isn't that an issue? What about the enormous amounts of energy and land used for the sole purpose of data storage, Maybe part of the solution is that we have mandatory blackouts, brownouts on a regular basis, but heaven forbid that the environment should ever interfere with the production of corporations generating profits from the time, effort, and sacrifice of their workers. That from Kathy. Sure appreciate the passion there, Kathy. If you want to respond to what she said or chime in on anything else you've heard on the show, you know where to find us. You can check out the contact us link on our website, ryanjesperson.com. As we wrap the show, we wanted to let you know what's coming up on Friday's episode of Real Talk. We're going to be introducing you to the recipient, nay, the recipients of the Real Talk Julie Rohr Scholarship. You know that one. Uh, the one that we fundraised through with our golf classic and with DK Gray's prints that are for sale. We'll be talking more about that later this week. Our judges couldn't decide on one. So they decided to grant $5,000 to two post-secondary students. And you're going to meet them right here on Friday.
1: Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. Executive Producer Josh Dunford. Technical Producer John Hicks. General Manager Katie Cook Chivers. Account Coordinator Lawrence Durlego. Human Resources Lena Shepherd. Website Design Mike Johnston. VoiceOver by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandi Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harman Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson.